Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Well, everyone, welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Storybox podcast. It is very exciting for me because I have the pleasure of speaking with an Australian icon and, and pretty much a national treasure, I guess you could say. Her name is Melissa Doyle. And if you haven't seen her on TV or Breakfast Radio or, re- or read any of her books, then you're definitely missing out on this treasure. But for those of you that don't know who she is, she's an accomplished and award-winning journalist with over 30 years plus experience. She's written, I believe, four books. Is that correct, Melissa? It is. You got one coming out this year as well? Yes, in uh, May. Which is called, let me get it, How to Age Against the Machine. I yep, the yep. <laughs> and you got the Working Mums, uh, the Working Mother's Survival Guide, which was written back in 2007. Uh, and the alphabet soup in 2013 and the book that we're going to be talking about today 15 seconds of brave honestly i loved this book melissa can i welcome you so much to the story box podcast today thank you jay thanks for having me nice to chat it's uh lovely to have you here i can't tell you how much i've been looking forward to having this conversation with you the moment i saw penguin random house put up the title of this book I was immediately like, I've got to get the book and I've got to reach out and I've got to have her on the show somehow, please. <laughs> uh, because and I didn't, I hadn't even read the book yet. And then when I read the book, literally, I'm not joking, in two days time, it's probably less than that. I was even more excited to have you on. So thank you for your time. Thank today. you. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say my, my first question for you is how are you feeling with the book promotion, the, Having the book out, because I know it took you a while to actually finish writing this book, you, you had to hold space for a lot of stories. So how are you feeling now? I feel proud. I feel humbled. I think the biggest thing that got me was on the book tour, meeting people and hearing about their reaction and how it had helped them. We had one lady come up to us at one event who had just lost her father and she'd read one of the stories and she said that, the I think it was Tonya's story, that the words were just what she needed to hear 
to bring her peace at that moment. And that to me was the whole purpose of the book. I felt at the end of, you know, the last few years, we've all had so many different challenges, whether it be work, whether it be isolation from family, whether it just be the, you know, the simple, not really simple, but the turmoil of the world and life and everything as we knew changed and to varying degrees for people. And I just, I don't know, it just felt the time to hear from some brave survivors who had endured change and what they could share. And I think one of the things I personally like as a reader, you know, removing my role because they're not my stories, they're, you know, my guests, um, is that they're also very different and I feel like I learned something very different from each of them. So hopefully as a reader, even if just one of these stories has a little touch point for you, then that's the main thing. And you have your own story, I guess, with before the, or was it during the COVID pandemic that you ended up losing your job? Is that right? Um, 2020. Yeah. It um, ended there. So it looked like everyone, I just had changes happening in my life and, you know, in comparison to to the people I write about, I mean, mine were nothing. My, you know, my job changed. Our son left home. I was suddenly an empty nester. He's on the other side of the world. We couldn't get to him. He couldn't get home. You know, things were changing around me, but I'm very conscious that, you know, mine were minor and I was still in a, in a place of privilege where, I was healthy. I was safe. Um, you know, I could see most of my family. Um, and, and I was, you know, I was very, very lucky. So, but it just felt like, you know, my job is to write stories, tell stories, whether radio, TV, book, you know, however we do it, but that's what you're doing. It's what we all do. I think as humans, it's one of the most powerful things we have is connection and sharing stories. I don't know about you, but if I have a bad day, the first thing I do is pick up the phone to my bestie and, you know, have a bit of a debrief. So I think from the days where we'd sit around a campfire in a cave, we share stories and it just felt to me it was the time to share some stories that actually had real power and guts and strength behind them. Um, you know, I didn't want to hear those lovely flowery inspirational quotes that tell you the sun's going to come up tomorrow when there's pictures of puppy dogs and rainbows. You know, I needed to hear some really gutsy, incredible people say how they got through something. I thought that's what we could all learn from. And you start off the book with Tonya's story, who is a mother and yeah. she ended up losing her father, I believe. And the story behind that was when I was when I was reading it, I was taken back by mm. just the horrendous nature of it all. And I don't know if I should spoil it. I I'm probably will anyway, because the, the meaning behind it, if that woman can go through the things that she has been through and have the kind of perspective on life that she does have, it's truly inspiring but it, it just it makes you like appreciate your own life even more doesn't yeah. it yeah and I thought exactly as you said that if anyone can tell us that you can survive something it's someone who has survived something really big um you know I, I think of Eddie Jakku and, and the happiest man on earth and his book about surviving the holocaust and I think the reason that had so much that was such a powerful book is because Here's a man who went through hell, like absolute hell beyond anything any of us can imagine. And if he can come through that with the attitude that he had, then we can all take a little bit of something. And that's not to ever say that somebody's issues or challenges are worse than someone else's because it's all relative. You know, when you're going through something, it's the biggest thing happening in your world. And I never, ever want readers to think that we're comparing. It's more 
Tonya, Tonya is incredible. I first met her when I did a story for Sunday night many years ago, and she had just lost her father. He'd been murdered. Mm. And that in itself is horror. And three weeks later, her daughter, Brittany, so Robert's granddaughter, was charged with the murder and has since found guilty and she's in jail. So everything that Tonya knew went. Her marriage broke up. You know, she loses a dad, she loses a daughter, she loses a husband, and she said she basically hit rock bottom. And she talks about how she found the strength to rebuild herself, her life, her soul, her strength, all of those things. And the reason that I started with her is because I feel like she is, it is that exactly as we were saying with Eddie, you know, that if she's been through that and can get through that, you know, then hopefully we can. But also what can we learn? What can she tell us? I really wanted to hear the nuts and bolts of the pr- the practicalities of getting through a tough time. You know, I feel like sometimes we as a society focus on what happens in the beginning and then how you come out of it at the end. But we don't always sit in that messy bit in the middle. And she talks about the basic advice that she was given, you know, get out of bed, go have a shower, go for a walk outside, don't forget to eat. You know, those sort of things which kept her going, which sounds so basic and simple, but, you know, she was really honest in how tough it was trawling through that middle bit before she got, you know, to the point she's at now. Grief can be quite crippling for a lot of people. And doing those little things, those little tasks, they're so important because they mount up to the bigger things later on. And and for you to be able to maintain some form of consistency in your life Mm -hmm. while you're transversing through the grief. And it's a sticky thing, grief, honestly. It it sucks. It hurts. And she's honest about that. Which is so good because don't you think sometimes we gloss over those bits and you think, gosh, is everyone else getting through something quicker than I am? Is is nobody else hurting in the way I am? Am I the only one that's feeling such acute pain as you go through the grieving process? And and I don't think we acknowledge how hard it is sometimes. So I really appreciated and respected Tonya's honesty in saying it was hell. You know, everything she knew was gone and she no longer knew who she was as a person. And she just, you know, didn't want to face another day. And and how do you get through that? Um, yeah. And it was really tough. You know, it was really hard for a lot of people to to talk about some of these things. They all wanted to, obviously they wouldn't be in the book otherwise. And every story was run past them before I went to print because they're very deeply personal and I needed to make sure they were all happy. But yeah, I just, um, I just admired Tonya's honesty in sharing and helping someone else. There's quite a bit when people do read the book, they'll notice in, in the first instance, there's quite a bit of grief that each person has to navigate through to some degree. And I wanted to ask you, having learned, like you've got a lot of years of experience, not just with these people's stories, but many, many other people's stories in your life, what have you learned about the grieving process? Mm. Um, How different it is for everybody, you know, and not everyone can get through it. Not everybody can navigate it and come out in the way that Tonya has. Um, For some people, it's a, a it's a, you know, a, a simpler, quicker resolution, I guess, than others, or they find a way to live with it. And, and you know, many people can't. Um, just in in saying that, I do feel I do want to warn people, yeah, they're pretty heavy stories in the book. Um, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of pain and trauma. 
But the reason that's there is because there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of strength. There's a lot of human spirit. You know, I wanted to celebrate the bravery of people and how incredible humans are when your back is up against the wall. And sometimes we don't know what we're capable of until we're forced into a place that you need to come out fighting or you need to survive. And I just felt if I was going to tell these stories, they just had to really be genuine, gutsy, tough stories. They couldn't be light, relatively simple things that, you know, and hopefully anyone reading it will never go through any of these things that are in here. But I feel they all had so much to teach us about, about grief, about recovering. Or um, the last story, Kat's story, She's she has a little boy, the most gorgeous little boy, Noah, who's 11. He was born with a terminal illness and essentially told he probably won't live much beyond a couple of years. And here he is still 11 and going strong. But she talks about having to accept the situation that they have, that she said in the beginning they they were grieving, they were angry, they were wishing it was different. And then she realised what a waste of energy that was because it wasn't going to change things. She says to me, it is what it is. So how do you find a way to live with whatever it is that you're facing, acceptance? How do you find a way to put your energies into other things, other ways of handling a situation, of managing it. She talks about wanting to honour her son by making the most of every single day that he has, not waste those days by sitting there in the corner rocking and saying, I wish it was different. Um, And I I just thought that was such a, a strong message that we can probably all take away and adapt to different situations. And Noah's phrase was actually the catalyst for you, the title of the book. And I want to read it for for people that are interested. I can can relate to Noah in many, many ways because I spent quite a long time in hospital. I was like, hospital was like my second home growing up. And I can understand having so many needles being put in my arm and, and just the horrendous nature of it all. But uh, I want to read this. Despite a lifetime of hospital visits, he still hates blood tests. I agree. Uh, <laughs> on the way to his last appointment, Kat asked him how he was planning to summon the courage to face another needle. He said, I just need to find my 15 seconds of brave, mum. Kat recalls. When she asked him what he meant, Noah explained how he toughed out challenges like a needle in the arm by counting to 15, by which time it would usually be over. But what if it takes longer? She asked him. Then I'll choose to be brave again, he said. After a minute, I'm done. 15 seconds of brave. I reckon we can all try that. It all makes me cry every time, no matter how many times I've read it and written it and spoken to him. Um, Yeah, it's just, and a little kid saying this. And I think that was, you know, I had I had another title for the book as I was writing it. And then when I got to know his story and I was recounting that, I just went, that's what I've got to call a book. That's what it's all about. You know, I think that everybody, yeah, things are tough, but hopefully we can all find that moment to go, all right, I, I, I can get through this. I can do it. And I just think if Noah can, we can. So yeah, he's a really, he's gorgeous. He was school captain last year. Um, he's doing really well. He's, um, you know, he's got a lot of, a lot of physical challenges, but he's got an amazing attitude. One of our book, um, book events in Geelong, he came along to with his mum, Kat, and I'm at a table in one corner of the room at the end, um, at the end of the event, signing autographs on the book. And Noah's set up on the other side with the little tray on the front of his wheelchair and bragging to me later that he had a way longer line for autographs than I did. So he's just, he's fantastic. He's just this absolute ray of sunshine. And I think that Kat 
being able to look at this beautiful boy and say, okay, what can he teach us? How do I live my life that honors him, that um, learns from him? And she runs an organization now that helps other parents Mm. uh, who have children facing physical or intellectual challenges and how she can assist them to stay positive and to get through it and to find the silver lining for, you know, one of another cliche there. Um, and I just think to be able to pass that on is, is incredible. Um, you know, a lot of people in the book said that if, if by telling their story, they could help one person, then they were keen to do it. And if I think, if I look back at them all, that how many have then gone on to either start charities or organizations or ways where they can help other people, um, raise awareness around particular issues or champion causes or, you know, share their knowledge, which I think is such a generous thing for a human to do at the best of times, let alone when they've just come through the worst of times. Well, that's the beauty of storytelling, being able to pass it on. And then we are all human beings at the end of the day, and we can all somehow connect with a person's grief to some degree. We all go through challenges. We all go through hurt. I think little Noah, I mean, mm. how inspiring is a young miracle boy who by all accounts shouldn't be here, but he is, and he's still smiling and still going. I mean, what, what a, when you look at that, like what kind of complaint or yeah. lack of gratitude should we have in our life? There's no excuse for it, but you know, I'm, I just marvel at people like him and I'm grateful for people like him that are willing to share their story and yeah. for people like you, Melissa, that are willing to also pass it on to others so that we can benefit from it. Oh, Kat and Noah, I was, I feel very humbled that they, everyone in this book, let me tell their stories. And you know what, like I said earlier, I, I fully acknowledge that everybody has their different challenges and I don't for a second want someone to think, oh, well, theirs is bigger than mine or I feel this way. I mean, we we all face our own, but I think it's what can we learn from someone else that might help us a little bit. That's not to say you will follow the same path that Kat has been able to or that Tonya has been able to, but, but what is something that they said or did that might just make my day a little better or help me have a tool to fall back on? Um, one of my, not that I've got favorites, but one, one that I really, I'm, I, you know, took a long time to absorb was grace. Yeah. Grace. Yeah. So Grace was 12 when she was abducted by the Lord's resistance army and made into a child soldier and a child bride. Like 12 is a baby, you know, 12, she hadn't even started high school. And she had five years of, of living this life, which I can't even begin to imagine. There's a lot of things we didn't talk about for her story because clearly far too traumatic and, you know, too personal. But one of the things she said to me was, I choose to be happy. And I think going through what she went through, she still has tough days. It's, you know, not sunshine every day by any means, but she says, when I wake up, I have to consciously choose how I'm going to feel. I have to be, I have to have the power over my own emotions and I choose to be happy. And yes, you know, that's not always easy. Um, her, her story in particular took a long time. We did quite a number of interviews, a little bit here, a little bit there. I'd have to give her time. Sometimes she'd say to me, I can't do it today. I'm not in a good head place. You know, I'm not able to take myself back there mentally. So I was very, very gentle. My duty of care was, you know, that I felt like that was the most important thing in this whole book. But to go through what she went through and then 
wake up each day and decide how she's going to feel, um, that's so powerful. If, if we can learn that from anyone, my gosh, you can take that from someone who was a child soldier, you know, wandering the deserts of Uganda as a 12-year-old, married to a warlord, you know, 30 years older than her. Um, yeah, remarkable woman. Yeah, it gives you permission to sort of do the same, to find your own happy in life. Yeah, I um, hope so. Yeah. What's your 15 seconds of brave moment? Oh my gosh. I can't even, can't even go there. You know, no, no, I'm so lucky. I, and all of these stories, I think for me, it was the word perspective. You know, it reminds me I'm, I'm incredibly lucky. I'm, I'm healthy. I have my family. I'm, um, you know, I have everything I could ever, ever wish for. So I think everybody has moments. They can be big ones. They can be small ones. Um, and you know, they're, they're totally different to anybody else's, but yeah, I think, we'd all be kidding ourselves if we didn't have, have little times where you got to dig, dig deeper than others. Um, but I just was so humbled that everybody chose to share, you know, the toughest parts of their lives in order to potentially help somebody else. I think that's just so generous. When you heard all of these stories and, and the things that they actually went through, did you ever think to yourself, there's, a level of spirituality behind some of them or definitely and they all talk about it a little differently tonya talks about the times and the places you know she would sit on the beach and that was her her way i guess of getting in touch with her spiritual side which was quite different from grace you know grace's faith in god kept her strong and that's what she called upon in those times and still does um you know i think i think everybody's spirituality is so different and i think it was that honoring of oneself that came through for me through most of these you know julie who was an alcoholic and when she decided to quit she talks about the fact that she had to be her own hero you know she had to do it for her she didn't do it for her husband her children anyone else she had to do it for her and that was her way of honoring herself and the life that she had and and the person that she was so yeah it was um i think that it was very different for everybody, Danny Abdallah, you know, as as you know, it was it, it was their faith that got them through. Danny and Layla um, lost three of their children and their niece in a horrific car crash in Sydney back in 2020 when a drunk drug driver crashed into them one afternoon when the kids were all going to get ice cream and you know it, it made headlines. It was horrific. And the very next day, Layla, his wife, spoke publicly to the media and said, "I forgive the driver." You know, incredible strength of, of faith and she found it in her heart to acknowledge that and forgive him and you know I think I fair to say most of us were a little bit in shock whether you could do that let alone say it so soon after um but Danny really interested me because Layla is deeply religious and and you know was wanted to be a nun when she was a young woman Danny grew up you know tough side of town hung out with gangs vengeance was a code that he and the boys lived by and, you know, obviously has a strong faith, but even more so after being married to Layla. And he talks about 
why they had to forgive, why they had they did it for them, not for the driver. Because my my first question was, well, haven't you let him off the hook? And they said, we don't care about him. We don't care how he feels or what it does or means to him. It's what it does and means to us. And we could not go through the rest of our life living with such hate and bitterness. It would eat us up. It would destroy us. So we had to find a way to forgive and move forward. And he talks a lot about his faith and the strength that that gave them to get through something that, you know, I'm sure if you're like me, I, I can't even fathom getting up the next day and continuing life. I remember when that hit the headlines. Mm. Uh, I think it was Saturday night and then the Sunday morning I ended up going to my local church mm-hmm. and I they made an announcement that some members of the church were going to go and visit because they actually knew them. Mm-hmm. They're going to go and comfort them. And I just remember like the the horrific nature of the incident, but then them being able to come to that place of mm. if we don't forgive, then it is going to eat us up and our lives is going to be even more miserable. And it's mm. not to take away from the fact they lost their kids. I mean, that in of itself is enormously challenging. Mm. And I, I don't have any kids, so I wouldn't know what it's like, but I can only imagine, you know. So I think for them to get to their place ultimately and say, I've forgiven this guy for taking away my kids, mm. that is a special moment in mm. of itself. And yeah. to walk the talk, yeah. you know, I think it's one thing to say it, and I'm I'm sure that there are people who may say something because that's what you maybe are meant to say, I don't know, but it's another thing to actually mean it and live it and do it. And, you know, they've started a foundation called I Forgive and they advocate forgiveness. For them, justice was a big part of it. And Danny talks about the fact that the driver was, you know, found guilty and jailed and and that gave them a degree of kind of comfort's the right word, but, you know, that that, that was attached to it, that he, that, that he did find justice. But, um, you know, they, they believe it, they forgive, and they really do. And they advocate that maybe other people can find it in their hearts to forgive. Um, and I think if you can forgive something like that, then same, there's that perspective, isn't it, that, you know, everyone's probably holding grudges against somebody or, you know, stuff's happened in their lives. We've all, I'm sure, walked away from those moments. But to forgive someone who's done that to your family and to three, four children, um, yeah, that's that's a whole other level. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you forget or that there's yeah. no accountability at all. Mm. It just mm. means that there is the understanding of, hey, I forgive you for what mm. you did. I'm not going to let it take over my life. It doesn't mean there's not going to be any hard days moving forward. There will be. But ultimately, I'm not going to let it eat us up. It's yeah. Just, yeah. So, and, and for Julie's story as well, like Julie's one of your your good friends, isn't she? Yeah. I've known her for many, many years. My husband used to work at the PGA and she was married to a professional golfer. And yeah. I had no idea, you know, that was another lesson for, for me in this book was her and Aurelio, two people I knew and, and I had no idea that they were going through what they were going through. And I'm sure all of us could probably look around and, you know, it's that moment of, of a friend or someone that you know that might be struggling a little bit more than you realize and acknowledging that, that, you know, we, we talk about, are you okay day and checking in with other people, but 
how much do we actually follow through and how much do people want to share? So yeah, or, um, Julie was an alcoholic and I had, I just didn't know. And we're talking serious alcoholic to the point where, you know, the doctor said, this is probably going to kill you. Um, and I had no idea. I just, you know, knew she was a great fun party girl. Um, but yeah, I, I was really shocked. And Aurelio was a, a, you know, a beautiful fashion designer who I was lucky enough to wear some of his gowns. He, he is just, his talent is beyond anything you can ever imagine. And he was going through major mental health and anxiety issues where he was crippled with anxiety backstage. You know, there he is showing in Paris and New York and he can barely walk out on stage and he's totally crippled to the point where he eventually had to close the business down because he was, you know, it was just all too much for him. And gosh, that just made me so sad that I had no idea. I didn't know then that he was going through that on his own, which nobody should ever have to go through anything like that on their own. No. And and that's the, I guess, one of the main points of this book that I want to reiterate to people is that you're not alone and you, you should never mm. suffer in silence, but a lot of people do. And it's sad that they do because it it's unfortunate that culture and society has sort of made it so that they they can't share. Otherwise, there's going to be that fear of judgment mm. and, and shame and ridicule for what they're going through. But there shouldn't be that. We should embrace them and say, "Look, it's okay. It's it's part of part of life. We've all gone. We all go through these things. Yeah. Let's all come together and let's try and help one another." I, I always say yeah. that we should make our mental health issues loud because yeah. that way just maybe, just maybe, we might make, make their life a little bit better and a little bit easier and a little bit lighter for them. Absolutely. And I think focus on the intimacy of sharing for both the sharer and the sharee. So I felt so humbled that everybody in this book wanted to talk about what they had gone through because it could help somebody. And I think when you're reading it, and if, if, if a friend reaches out and says to you, hey, I'm going through something and I need a little bit of help, we all know how that makes us feel. It actually makes you feel really good that they trust you, that they've reached out, that they've asked for help. And I think we sometimes forget, you know, it's like when, when someone gives someone a compliment and I always say to my daughter, say thank you. Don't brush it off because someone's thought that and shared it with you, just simply say thank you. And I think it's the same as asking for help when if, you know, if you need someone to help you, then put your hand up and say, hey, listen, you know, it's a bit tough right now. Don't suppose you could lend me a hand. And I would imagine 99.999% of people that are asked would be honoured to say yes. And I think that's what this kept, all these people kept reminding me of the power of connecting with one another, not just through the good times, but also through the tough times. And I think, you know, without getting all, um, I, I feel like that's one of the things that as humans that, that sets us apart, you know, we, we do, we share, we talk, we join groups, we join footy clubs, we have church groups, we have book clubs, whatever it might be that brings us together to share what we're going through. And, you know, the whole saying a problem shared is a problem halved. I really believe it when you talk about it with somebody. Um, it, it it helps. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and honestly, like being able to read uh, someone like Aurelio's story and, and hearing how his mother had mm. depression and, and all that sort of stuff and how good we can be at hiding those things yeah. from people. I mean, yeah, I, I love how you, you just reiterated uh, a problem shared is a problem yeah 
Well, his biggest fear was that anyone would find out. He didn't want anyone to know that he had any mental health issues. And then when he eventually acknowledged it and he went into a clinic and he sought help and he's come out the other side, well, now you're not going to find a more passionate, well-spoken advocate for mental health and and seeking, you know, the support that you need than Aurelio. He talks so openly about it. He's an artist. He donates um, a percentage of his work to Lifeline. And it's almost given him this incredibly new purpose. And he's so um, now just so vocal and open in talking about it. And, you know, what a strength to come from somebody who in the beginning would be mortified that one person would know. Now everybody knows and that's his superpower. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first opened up about my addictions and, and my struggles, it was incredibly tough to do. Mm-hmm. But, but I did it in the hopes that it might help someone else that is struggling mm-hmm. to understand that they're not alone in their struggle and there is a way out. There is help available. But don't be afraid to reach out. And I guess the the whole message of the book, once again, be brave. It's okay to be brave. Yeah. And how much strength you get from that. It makes you braver, you know. I'm sure you sharing your story helped other people, but also helped you. You know, nothing harder than having to hide something. Yeah. Made things a little bit lighter for me. Because now it wasn't just me holding it anymore. It was other people that were holding space for me too. And it wasn't any sort of validation at all that I I wanted to hear. It was more, I wanted to help people with my story. So who Mm -hmm. am I to hold on to it? So I wanted to be courageous and brave enough to share Mm -hmm. it. And then I may never know who it's helped, but that doesn't matter. And it it should Mm -hmm. never matter, honestly. But the fact is, that you are willing to share something that is deeply personal and deeply vulnerable that you have been through and you're you're just hoping that it may help a random person, whoever it is, whoever needs it, that's the key. That's the, mm. the, the important thing. And if someone reaches out and says to you, hey, Jay, hey, Melissa, thank you so much for sharing this, yeah, that's even more powerful as well. But it doesn't take away the power of you actually sharing it to begin with and, and you may not know. And being real, you know, we're all flawed. Nobody is perfect. Nobody lives the life that Instagram wants us to believe they do, you know, and I think we all have good days and bad days. You know, I've done so many stories and news things over the years where I've come home and just lost it and cried and it's really affected me and everyone has ups and downs. And you mentioned earlier, um, the I wrote the Working Mother's Survival Guide years and years ago because I just wanted to dispel. I was a you know full-time working mom of two little kids and I just wanted to dispel the myth that it's glossy and easy and life is fabulous because it was really, really blooming tough. And, you know, I dropped the ball so many times and I sometimes think we're not always honest with one another about things and our feelings and what we go through. So the more we do, the more it makes it normal for everybody else. You know, I just don't believe anyone's life is perfect from beginning to end. And, you know, you look at the royal family, you know, everyone's family (laughs) has issues, doesn't it? Whether you're living in a palace or not, everybody has particular health challenges. Everybody has times that you go through that are tougher than others. And you think, am I ever going to get through this? And the more we all put up a hand and go, well, yeah, you're not the only one. I think 
normalizes it and makes us all feel a little bit better. I have to say the level of discipline for the king and <laughs> not say anything at the moment yeah. is just unreal. <laughs> Honestly, unreal. But oh, <laughs> maybe they're not reading it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, who knows? Yeah. Maybe they, they're shielded and, and yeah. sheltered away from it. But it makes you have that moment of going, oh my gosh, we're not the only family that, you know, squabble around <laughs> the Christmas table or something or have, you know, discussions over bridesmaids' dresses. I mean, gosh, you know, it's normal. It's it's maybe to different degrees, but I, I just think the more we talk about all those things, the ups and downs, the more we realise that we're all going through it to, yeah. to some extent. You think yeah, your family's got problems. Yeah, <laughs> Look exactly. at the, the royal family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I wanted to ask you a few more questions, Melissa, if that's okay with yep. you. Um, the the whole idea from for me in this show is to bring awareness to people's stories and, and I wanted to ask you, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Oh my gosh, I've never been asked that. Um I I feel, I guess I feel so lucky that I got to do what I love. We all grow up with a dream as a kid that you want to do something, whether you want to, you know, I remember at one stage I wanted to be an astronaut for about five minutes. Um, but then I got to about 12 or 13, I just wanted to be a journalist. And so I feel so grateful that it happened. You know, yeah, I worked my bum off and, um, you know, got up at stupid o'clock for many, many years and all those things. But everyone does that to a degree, you know, to make sure that you can turn your dreams into reality. So I feel so lucky that I've had the privilege of doing what I wanted to do and interviewing some extraordinary people and being in places for moments of history that were just so incredibly powerful and you know, I, I was standing there outside St. Peter's when the Pope was announced and I was at Barack Obama's inauguration, you know, moments in time that I feel, gosh, I, I never take them for granted. Um, and I think the thing that I'm, I can't really remember what your first question was now, I've gone off the track, but I think the thing that I'm most proud of in all of that is that I think I've done it with dignity and, you know, my respect for every person that I've ever interviewed is first and foremost, you know, I, I, I even the more I disagree with someone, the more I go in open-minded because I want to hear their side. I want to hear, you know, I would be, I'd be the worst debater because I, <laughs> I never have a hugely strong opinion one way or the other. Cause I'm always, I hope I am always open-minded and also, you know, willing to change my thoughts or views because we've all, we all walk different paths and people can change. And there's just, I don't know, there's so many nuances to human beings that I've found that the most fascinating over my years to, to hear their stories and, um, yeah, and be able to share them. So I, that's I personally, <laughs> does answer the question. <laughs> I, I personally don't, uh, like debates at all because I I don't think that they accomplish much at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I think everyone's got their own idea and belief about a certain topic, and and having people try and give you certain perspectives around it, I don't necessarily think it is going to change someone that is highly opinionated about that particular subject. Yeah, <laughs> and I hope I never personal. am. You know, yeah. I love it when I walk away from a conversation with someone and with a totally different view or an, a, a part of it that I'd never thought of or you think, oh, I, I, I'm glad I learned that because that's changed my thinking on something. You know, I, I think, I mean, partly I guess that's being a journalist is my job to always be open-minded and, and you know, sit on the fence, mm -hmm. so to speak. But, um, but, yeah, I think it's a healthy thing for all of us. 
Yeah, and, and that's the point. And one of the things I love about conversations is the ability, like innately as human beings, like what makes us human is the ability to be curious and be creative. If we didn't have those two things, I think we'd cease to be human because what else is there? Like the ability to be curious enough to ask questions to somebody and keep the conversation flowing. I mean, I, I've grown up as a curious kid. It's one of the main yeah. reasons why I love doing this. <laughs> one of the reasons why I hate debates is because yep. I want to, yes, I have my own ideas and beliefs about certain things, but I'm very open-minded to thinking and asking questions about, hey, I may not know this. Like, let's dive a little bit deeper. Let's go. Let's have a a conversation that is civil and not argumentative or de- debatatory or whatever it is. Let's all come together. Let's ask more questions, have more conversations, and then yeah. we, uh, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. the word. It's a lot. But then maybe add another seat of the collection if you've got curious and creative um, connection. And and I think, you know, the last couple of years taught us that when we were all in lockdown, more than anything, the, the, the crazy ways we all found to stay connected to one another. I mean, I was doing, I'm sure I'm not the only one, Zoom drinks with girlfriends on a Friday. I mean, seriously, who would have thought? But it was just, we just needed to have a little touch point and see one another and, and, you know, eyeball your bestie and go, how are you doing? And I think we all, it was just this really, lovely reminder of how much we all do need one another. And I think, you know, it comes back as we were talking about earlier, exactly to what you're doing here by sharing stories, by talking to people, hopefully a listener listens to one of your podcasts and go, oh my gosh, that person really, you know, got got me or understood me or said something that I really needed to hear or said something that I can learn from and apply to my life. And, and, you know, may we forever do that. I think that's what, yeah, really sets us apart. So I think that's, um, yeah, really special. What are you excited about moving forward? Oh, everything. I'm like you. I'm curious every single day. I love, I love going to places I've never been. I love learning things. I love, you know, I'm just totally challenge myself every day. I'm curious. I'm constantly asking questions. I was that painful kid, you know, why, 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 why? <laughs> so I'm still doing it. Um, but yeah, lots of different, I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky that I'm in a place where I can do some of the things I'm really passionate about, which has been this book and sharing stories. I've got one coming out in May called How to Age Against the Machine. We did a podcast or more like an audio documentary, I guess you'd call it, a couple of years ago called Age Against the Machine, all about women and aging and all the challenges that, that you know, we primarily focused on women because I am a woman, but, um, you know, getting older brings and, and everything from homelessness to, to job losses, to perceptions, to all the things that come with it, not just aesthetics, but, you know, managing your parents and empty nesters and all those things. And so the book is off the back of that. And it's been an area that I just, oh my gosh, I love a deep dive into research and you go down one little it leads you on all of these other things, but I just learned so much. So that book comes out in a couple of months. And I can't wait to share it with with people. I think we don't we're starting to now a little more, but we haven't always talked about um, aging and the ramifications. Um, and and you know we sort of focus on the gorgeous years and <laughs> the young years and all of those things. And sometimes that I think there's a there's a large percentage of society who feels invisible, who feel forgotten, who feel a little bit cast aside. And I think we need to change that. So that's been exciting. Aging is a big topic of conversation in today's day and age. 
Um, and I've I've been listening to a lot of people that are sort of in the know about that. And one mm-hmm. was saying that when they get to their 60s or 70s, it kind of feels like their life is sort of starting to end for them. And then they're like, no, 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 life is only beginning mm. for them, which I think is another good take and perspective on on how beautiful life really is. Doesn't matter yeah. where you are. We talk about finding your purpose and meaning yeah. as you get older, and that changes. You know, it's quite different when you're your age and you know you're you're making waves in the areas that you are and and creating what you're doing and it and it can be different in your 60s and 70s but that's not to say that you're of any less value or that you can't bring different things to society and to yourself and you know I think it's always about finding purpose and meaning whether you're 15 or 50 or 80 so yeah it, I think it's really important really important and just respect I think sometimes we don't always respect uh we, the big question we asked in it is what's the difference between um becoming an elder and becoming elderly oh that's good yeah and and that sense of wisdom and respect and how do we you know some cultures do it really well where they revere um older members of society but you know we don't always so I think I'd like that to change in all honesty, Melissa, I wish my grandfather was still alive. Yeah. The amount of wisdom that he carried for me, I didn't I didn't get to um, absorb much of it. I absorbed a lot growing yeah. up. And I knew I could have absorbed much more, but it was sadly taken from us too soon. But nonetheless, there's so many other elderly people and elders out there that have incredible amounts of wisdom. So, yeah, you know, thank you so much for all that you're doing, where can people find you and connect with you? Oh, um, wherever you like, you know. (laughs) It's not hard to find. No, socials and websites. And, yeah, I just like creating. I like um, starting conversations. I like tapping into something that I think we need to talk about. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's challenging and it's tough and it might be something that, isn't always easy to talk about, but I think that's, you know, that's my job as a journalist, as a communicator and and exactly as you're doing, have conversations and get people thinking and get people talking and maybe get people to think about something slightly differently or have a different perspective on, on issues. And yeah, it's pretty exciting. Is this book out in America and other countries or just Australia? Oh, just Australia for now, but hopefully, hopefully one day. Well, yeah. hopefully my American audience <laughs> uh, can order a copy and get it over there. Um, But it's called 15 Seconds of Brave. When when you're thrown off course by life, what comes next? It's a brilliant, and I mean a brilliant book. Go and get a copy if you can. Melissa, my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite. (laughs) I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. Mm-hmm. Your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. Well, <laughs> magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh, my goodness. That is such a big question. <laughs> I I want it to say that she was a good person that she was nice, that she was a good person. I think kindness is, you know, yeah, kindness is so important. So I hope that's the message at the end of it all. 
It's a big message to send people <laughs> off with. That's <laughs> a big a great question. One. Great, one done great question. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melissa, for your time, your wisdom, your advice, and your stories, and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've loved chatting with you and thank you for everything that you do. You are amazing. Keep championing the causes and issues and conversations that you do. So well done to you too, Jay. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 